0: Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined today by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Hi. On today's episode, we are going to be uh, getting into the topic of, if we had to do it again, all this mastering mumbo-jumbo, how would we do it? <laughs> um, mumbo-jumbo. I don't know if we're necessarily taking this from a position of, there was like, a very small and localized nuclear blast in our studio <laughs> and now we're at ground and now we're at like ground level and we gotta rebuild or if it's like looking back with what info we know now time machine situation yeah are we doing the time machine
1: I mean that's how I would prefer it over a nuclear okay. blast
0: <laughs> okay, okay lightning strike <laughs> so I actually had an idea this is completely yes. off topic. So <laughs> I've never in my life ever desired to have a tattoo. I don't know why. I just never have. Uh-huh. Um, but I thought if I ever had to get a tattoo, and I don't really care where it is. Um, I would want a little box. Mm-hmm. Do you know why? And I'd probably I put it. No I'd probably put the date that I got the box. It'd probably be safe to put the date that I got the box under the box.
1: In case you ever time-traveled?
0: <laughs> if none of, Well, in case future me or anybody, for that matter, ever time-traveled, all uh-huh. they have to do is go before that date or, no, after that date. And I guess so long as it's not the present day for me <laughs> and they could tattoo check that box. That's true. To let me know. <laughs> Biggie likes it. Biggie
1: approved. Biggie loves this idea.
0: That is the only reason I would get a tattoo is so that some future person could tell me if in fact they were time traveling.
1: I think Biggie loves this idea. He's going nuts for the idea of a tattoo time travel. Maybe
0: Biggie is a time traveler. I was actually watching Back to the Future the other day and that's where I had the idea. How would I ever know? And it would just be a nice way to know.
1: Right. <laughs> he is really going crazy.
0: Back to the Future, by the <laughs> way, is probably like the best movie ever made. You know, it's a good movie. That's I, for I'd sure. be willing to get into like a, you know, like a fist of cuffs fight over it. Over it? Oh, yeah. That it's the best movie ever made.
1: So that's, I just have such a hard time landing on the best ever. Cause I just, I'm such a, I'm such a context person that like, <laughs> you know, it's impossible to pick a favorite. Nah.
0: I'm landing. This is how much I like Back to the Future. The theme song is my ringtone. That's how much I like Back to the Future.
1: Mine is the WALL-E theme song. The WALL-E theme song. From the movie WALL-E. that. so good. I know the movie. The theme song goes... dun 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 and the strings come in. Do we have to copyright this? Do we have do, to get licensing? No, because I'm so off pitch, though. Okay. <laughs> it's not close. But anyway, that's been my, my ringtone and alarm for like, <laughs> I don't, I mean, that'd be like 10 years. I'm not kidding you, 10 years. It's awesome. Great song to wake up to.
0: I have a second ringtone, but I'll have to tell you off the air. It's pretty funny. <laughs> But it's not really appropriate. It's not, like, dirty, but I just can't say it and it be recorded, so. Anywho, so, Sam, if we could travel back in time, which is so weird. Why would you call a movie Back to the Future when they're going to the past? They have to go back to the future eventually.
1: There's the rest of my day. Right? (laughs) So... (sighs)
0: Did you see all three of them? Oh, yeah. So I was reading the Um, description for two because it was like after one, you're looking at two. And it says that like Doc and Marty uh, go back to from like whatever in 2000 they go. They go back to 1985 to realize that the past has been royally biffed. And I was like, oh, gosh, that is so good. Love the biff. Biffed. Great word. Great I also praise. no no one knows this random Matt fact. Uh, what is his name? Uh, Crisper. Glo- w- w- what's the guy's name who plays George McFly's dad? Crispin Glover. That's oh, his name. Oh, I don't know. Uh, I got in a kind of a pseudo bar fight with him when I lived in Hilton Head. He was <laughs> he was harassing a bartender, and it was like Sound me up? and my friend in the bar, and uh, she needed backup, and. Uh, yeah, I right, won't we'll get into it. We, we, we can on, DM me we'll talk on, about it later. On brand for you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I really like the movie. So if you ever, wanna, if like we yeah, ever get uh, really famous and there's attack and release show trivia, you already know <laughs> the answer to this question. So exactly.
1: So I want to give a quick disclaimer that okay. if we keep hearing my dog, it's because I'm on dog duty today. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's windy because fall's here. And then my wife ordered, which I'm so grateful that she does this. She designs our house, but we've got curtains and knobs, hardware showing up today. So if, if y'all hear a dog throughout the episode, I'm not editing that out. We're rolling.
0: <laughs> you
1: can't RX Biggie out of this episode. Yeah, I mean, just go look at a photo of him on my story and he'll just be like, oh, it's all right. <laughs>
0: I sent you something where someone on Photoshop turned a a chicken leg and a fried chicken leg yes. into a oh my gosh doodle. That
1: was hilarious. That's a typical bad okay. post. <laughs> I was gonna say that's back so that that part Daily, daily conversation. There you go. So, all right, episode. <laughs> if we
0: had to go back into the past and yes. do this all from scratch, knowing the info that we know now, how mm-hmm. would we do it? You said you have like a litany in about an hour's
1: worth of talking to yeah, do. Yeah, I'll condense it but, for sure. Yeah, let's let's
0: you condense. want me to start. Yeah, but well, let's do like a little bit more of a of a dialogue as opposed to monologues. I'm getting a little older to the monologue. Perfect.
1: We're I getting know. a little gassy. You're real real over it. I just don't know if I'm capable of dialoguing. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. I can start, and we can dialogue.
0: Well, that's like you say something, and then you say, <laughs> "What do you think, Matt?" And then I say, "I think this," but then this. That's the dialogue. And then what do you think, Sam? That's how. That's how normal people talk.
1: Well, Matt, we all know the first ten minutes of this episode just could just back to <laughs> if the I future could go trivia. Back in, back in
0: time, Matt I would and Sam banter. We're like two old ladies. Clean up the intro. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Don't clean it up. Leave it as dirty and oh, biggie-filled it's, as it's- it is.
1: It is all right here comes a here comes a dialogue for our audience uh so when I started i I think if I start anything that I say when I started, it sounds like I'm about to do a monologue story <laughs> when I was a kid, something I would do different. Here we go, and Matt, you can give me your feedback if you had a similar experience. How about that? That sounds like dialogue language. there you go uh I would have raised my rates or started with a higher rate from the start because over my 10 years, well, it's actually been 12 years of actually making money for music. And I went from a little to a lot over 12 years. Uh, there is a direct correlation of me charging more money and getting better clients hmm. before I even had better clients. And that's been my experience. And my only, well, not only, I have a lot of thoughts on it, but I'll keep it to kind of one idea, is that I feel like people associate value with cost. And we see it with designer bags or like super brand name stuff. And so you attract a certain type of person, which is the Seth Cohen thing we've beaten with a dead horse, which is people like us do things like this. Um, people like Sam raise their rates (laughs) raise their rates and because of that I attract people who want to pay more money which is normally artists that are more established and they make more money they're not looking for affordable they're not looking for good fine a superstar (laughs) is not setting out to be affordable they want to be the best they want to be exclusive they want to rule the world And so, I found those types of people, which are normally the people most people want to work with. Um, And I work with a ton of awesome indie people who aren't famous either. But I've noticed that the more I charge the better clients, even indie clients, who are doing really well and may not be a household name yet, I'll say, Um, because I believe in lots of my clients. Uh, there's a direct correlation with making more money, doing better work, getting better work, um, and the clients that weren't serious, that weren't going to be around for 12 years, um, who aren't, I can look at my list. And the people that used to pay me next to nothing don't do music anymore. Mm. So that's my first thing I would do Difference is different is establish a higher rate to compete in the professional world if that is your end goal to be a professional
0: and I think we were talking. I think we think? were talking about this in a earlier episode, like back in the twenties. But you were always charging a rate, right?
1: Yes, I was always charging money. Um, I, there's, I probably do more free work now. <laughs> well, I definitely do more free work now than I ever did. And getting started, I charged like twenty bucks an hour. I charged by the hour to master. Okay, when I first started, because I was in like a studio situation more than a flat rate situation. So it was an hourly thing over whether it took an hour, two hours, or 10. I had to charge by the hour for the studio or a day rate. Mm -hmm. So that's how that kind of worked itself out. But I think that's part of like, and I don't want to monologue, but I was in a situation early on doing the intern assistant thing. And then when the guy gave me the keys to the studio, be like, you can have your clients. But he wanted to make a cut, which is understandable. What was his cut? He took all the risk. It was like fifty percent. Okay, so That's pretty steep.
0: Yeah, but I mean, kind of. I get it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's he allowed me to have a space to make money in that I didn't have the money to, to do that. You know, this proper studio with gear. So, you know, it's a little steep. I probably wouldn't do that much if I was in that situation. But it forced me to charge a rate early on, whether or not. People thought it was good or not. People paid me still. So when you were on,
0: when you were, I'm I'm cutting
1: you off on purpose. I'm I'm not even sorry.
0: So when you were on your own, like your first time on your
1: own, uh, what were you charging? Uh, I was charging forty bucks a song to master. Okay.
0: Okay. I think that if uh, if I were to go back in time, um. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I would charge a higher rate. Oh, well, what would what would you have charged instead of forty? What would you have done?
1: I would have started with hundred. You would right have started at hundred bucks. Yep. Okay. So I think that weeds out enough people. Cause everyone I've talked to in the last ten years, not everyone, that's such a broad series. Ninety five percent of the people I talked to All of them, and I just took a poll on this this week, so I know this is still true on my Instagram. Everyone 100% said they needed to raise their rates. 100%, the poll. I kid you not. (laughs) And then the few people that DM me about it all said that they wish they could have raised their rates sooner because now they feel stuck, or that... The, their story is when they raised rates. I mean, I just had a mastering guy last week who doubled his rate and immediately emailed me the next week was like, I got a better client and I'm making more money already. What? Just from that. Yeah. Wow. I want to hear that story. Yeah. I mean, you know who he is, but I'm not going to... Somebody's pockets is not my business to be saying in public. But, uh-huh. um, but yeah. I mean, it's... I think that's most people's story is you raise your rates, you're going to lose clients, most likely, but those are the clients. That doesn't mean they're a bad person or a bad artist. I just think from a long-term, like, 30-year view of building a career and knowing what professionals charge and knowing that most people I talk to desire to work on the known artists because they associate that with better quality, more money, more fame, which is a means to the ends for them. A means to the ends. Means to the ends? Help me! (laughs) Phrase. Uh, It's a means to an end of them being able to provide for themselves, their family, buy a beach house, I don't know, whatever their desire is. So, I mean, that's, that's my experience and that's been my observation the last, like, I'll say five years of actually talking to people. You know, and getting a a feel for it. So, Everyone I know, yeah. Go ahead.
0: Oh, I didn't know you were going to keep going. So I was, I was well, gonna... you know, I'm learning this dialogue thing. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll get it over the next couple episodes. We'll probably have some people write and be like, "Gosh, Matt, shut up!" But it won't be like uh, unlike other things that get written in. So it's all good. Um, mm. So if. I were to go back. I would. I, my first one is very similar to yours. Um, I started out not charging anything for uh, a good while, thinking that that would build clientele. Um, and a lot of freelancing places and stuff you read online, you're told to do work for free. And the more that I look into it, uh, the more... I am starting to disagree with it. So, I started, when I charged a rate, I started at 50 bucks, and I think 50 is good. I don't think, I don't think 50 is a bad place to start, Um, and I don't think I would have started at 100. I think, and it all depends on your location, I think 50, regardless of the location, It's competitive enough without sounding incredibly cheap, to where you're going to weed out the people who are like, "I want to get like my 20 song record mastered for fifty dollars." Like that guy's not going to be your guy, (laughs) Um, right? And you're you're going to weed out all of that. So fifty bucks a song isn't a bad place to start. You can get your feet wet in a lot of different genres for fifty bucks. it's almost free but it's not um you can put some cash in your pocket respectably at that amount mm-hmm. i mean you can wrap out a 10 song lp for 500 bucks that's kind of cool you do two or three of those a month right i mean you're like <laughs> the the idiom is uh you're uh you wrap out two or three of those a month and you're standing in the tall grass peeing with the big dogs so <laughs> That's uh, that's some South Carolina lingo. Exactly my thought. <laughs> that's exactly what I was thinking. Standing in the tall grass <laughs> peeing with the big dogs. Uh-huh. So to me, 50... 50- Are you writing that down? No, I'm
1: not uh, writing that down.
0: <laughs> I got it recorded. <laughs> so fi- to me, 50 isn't bad. Um, you're able to... I, I think you're able to... Uh, I think you're able to build a larger client base than you could with 100. However comma if you are in a place like Nashville, LA, like a larger city that has a higher standard of living and whatever that's called, go to 100. Sure. Because you can this is going to sound weird. You can burn more relationships at $100 than you like could at 50. I think like 50 in like New York or LA or Nashville is probably like free where I am at in Charleston. So it's like if you're at those places where your saturation of music is just absolutely through the roof, then, yeah, go ahead and do that. And if some people... And if you you want to knock down your rate in the beginning, you can, to fit projects and whatnot. You can do that at $100. Bucks. Um, so, I don't know. I, th- I think location also plays a good bit into it. But I feel like the... I feel like you could support yourself. It's not free. You're able to uh upgrade any computer you wanna upgrade. You're able to buy gear and whatnot. It's like all the gear like and I just raised my rate um a year and a half ago and I was at fifty bucks for I don't know. I I, I actually don't remember when I started That's trying it was a when years. it was when I was doing the, the mentorship with you, Sam. Yeah, it was probably at least two to three years.
1: I think. Oh, no,
0: it was longer than that.
1: Well, I don't know how long. I mean, it's it's been a while. It's been since a while. Was, it's, um, yeah, it's been at least three years.
0: So, and it's like with that three years, it's like I was able to buy all the stuff that I have on 50 right. bucks. So it's like,
1: shit, imagine if I was getting 100 bucks or whatnot. Um, I think, though, for me, it's... You know, it's more so about the type of work Mm -hmm. I was able to do. Like, it's there is a direct correlation in whether the work is, you know, paying at a higher rate or lower rate. The type of work most people want to do just happens to also pay a lot. Yeah. Honestly, at the end of the day. So it's kind of like, it's kind of how I view almost everything is, I mean, it goes to our gear episode. Like, do you want the knockoff or the real thing? Yeah. Well, if you had the money, you buy the real thing. And the real thing gets you probably a better result if on at the end of the day, and you know that gets into the debate. Well, do you need it? Blah blah. blah. Can you still make record? Who cares? <laughs> like, it's. I think that's what I've observed, and that's why for people, it's a twofold answer of you're not raising your rates just to gouge and make money. I'm telling people because working on projects that you really love is how you find fulfillment. To yeah, me. and then having money so you can buy the gear you actually want gives you so much more confidence or invest into a room that costs $30,000 just to outfit it. Like that gives you confidence for when you're working. And there is a direct correlation between me getting what I want to work with, the tools. This isn't like a I just bought anything and everything for fun. This was like when I finally said, you know what? I actually want the massive passive and not some other 2BQ based on my goals. Mm -hmm. And that just happens to be (laughs) $5,000. Like, was it scary to buy it? Yes. For someone who grew up in a scarcity mindset, not like rich, yep, that is the cost of my first and second car. Like, (laughs) yes, that was scary. But also, once I got it, there was... A proudness and accountability to it to use it, learn it. And I felt so much better, you know, using it. And, and it enabled me to finally start making the records how I wanted them to sound, which in turn is a familiar sound for a lot of people in the record industry. So that there is a direct correlation, which probably goes into my other thing I would do different segue, which we can abandon the current rate topic, but sure. I, I would go back and literally either find an investor or take a business loan or short-term loan, even if it was at a semi-shitty interest rate and just get myself a good solid setup, like decent monitors or the best monitors you could buy, stands, have someone do my room and buy a couple pieces of gear to start with to actually be able to give myself a fair starting spot because, oh, man, if I could go back again, good Lord, I worked in, like, a laundry room when my monitors sat on a shoebox. Like, (laughs) it's it's an awful environment to work in. And, you know, I used to think or people I would talk to be like, yeah, but that made you, like, learn how to polish turds, like, or, like, learn how to, you know, be scrappy. But at the same time, like, yeah, but I learned awful habits. And I learned to listen incorrectly, which long-term, like 30 years, which is always kind of my vision, is like, my end goal was to get into a great room. So I wish I would have done that sooner, took the risk, quote-unquote risk, and and looked at myself realistically and gone, man, if I can't make 20 grand back in the next two years, I'm probably in the wrong industry, especially for mastering. Because mastering is to me the most highest profiting part of music outside of if you're a songwriter and you've just managed to get cuts you know, over and over again. But that would be my second thing I would do totally different is I personally would have invested into a room, even if it was an apartment, I would have paid someone a few thousand bucks to come in if I was going to be at that apartment for a couple of years and set up the room so I could at least give myself a chance to make good sounding records without smashing my head into the wall every time I took it to a car and all that. All those things where people are like I hate my mix in my car. It's like cuz you're in a crap room. Like you just you won't do a good job because you can't hear correctly. You know, and even people that say well I learned my room where I learned my speakers are the faults. It's like, no, you actually didn't because phase cancellation cancels out things. It doesn't exist where you're sitting. Like, you can't learn that you're missing 100 hertz or whatever because it's just never there. So, you mm. boosting it doesn't do anything. Like, <laughs> it's one of those things where you literally, in my opinion, now is like, you can learn how to get by in your room. But for most people, Once again, they prefer to work in a great room. They would prefer to have a great setup. Usually, the biggest deterrent is, well, I don't have money, which goes back to my rates thing, which is like you can charge more, make more quicker so you can invest it into it, pay off your loans, or spend a year not going out, not spending 50 bucks on cocktails every week, and pay off your credit card for the Mm -hmm. monitors and crap you just bought on 0% interest from. Vintage King or wherever, like, for 12 months. Those are all things I would have done differently. So, I don't know. I feel like you might have a different view, or maybe you have similar, because when we started the podcast, you were in the box, and now you're, like, one of the most out-of-the-box people I know. And it's, like...
0: I don't do a lot in the
1: box anymore. (laughs) Such a transition, you know, and you... Did that way quicker than I did. And I look at you and I'm like, gosh, I wish I would have done what Matt did. <laughs> like in a matter of a couple years, like been like, oh, wow, this actually is a great tool and this is a great tool and it's worth it.
0: I cheat though.
1: What do you mean you cheat? I mean, I'll
0: be the first person. So um, back to your thing real quick. Uh, I do. Yeah. Um, just so I'm not 100% agreeing with you, I yeah. heavily disagree with. Taking out a personal line of credit for a business reason. Um, I would much rather see somebody build a business and you run it completely in the box and you show profit and whatnot so that if you want to go get a line of credit, you can do so. But do it through the business, which should already be set up as an yeah. LLC. We really need to do how to set up a business. Yeah, and then and how say, we do, need to do that. Man, there are so many episodes that like I really need to write down that we need to do. Right. Um, we need to do a business tax debt. I literally had a meeting it. with the guy last Wednesday, and I need to just be like Jody, we need to sit down. Um, yeah, and he wants to do it. We were talking about it all like pre-COVID. Great. Um, we'll make a note and do that. Yeah, we that we up. have to do it. Y'all y'all will love Jody. So. That dude is like no bullshit. It is it is fantastic, but he is a great dude. So yeah, I do not recommend uh, doing anything on a line of credit personally. That uh, I, I just like against it's just kind of like against it a, a belief that I have. I'd rather go to um, family or whatnot and ask for money before I go and I take a loan. I'd rather take a loan from family, like. Hey, like I'll pay you back and ten percent interest, like some type of like crappy situation, like that. As opposed to, like I'd rather borrow a thousand dollars and then owe a hundred dollars at the end, as opposed right. to like be caught up, have my credit all out of whack and stuff. I'd rather run everything through my business. That is all an LLC. You'd probably have to personally guarantee it, but in the end, it would help your credit and it would help your business's credit, which you're going to need going down the line. Um, right. You teed me up for something. What were you teeing me up for?
1: It was about gear and your
0: oh um, in the box. I, I would one hundred percent. It's 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 hilarious. I would one hundred percent go out of the box one hundred percent quicker. Um yeah. But. I will preface this with saying before I did anything with mastering I was running front of house for several years uh prior to do any doing anything so um and I just knew that running sound on a board was like I was just a way way more apt to do that as opposed to like yeah. And I know people do this and there's nothing against it, but it's like you have those Behringer, like the X-Air, whatever 18s, whatever it is. And I, I had to I had to do a tour with one of those and an iPad, and it was the biggest nightmare because it's like before you learn you need to secure that network, everybody's phone is trying to connect to that network. And then I labeled it like something really sketch, like for like <laughs> let's just call it like CIA surveillance surveillance fan five or something. Um, and then, but it's like eventually like you figure out the secure, it. but then it's, you can only get so far away from it and some venues are larger. And it was just a nightmare with like the early lag that it had. And I was like, man, I just can't do this thing as well as I could like on a board. So, uh, and just like the intuitive feeling, at least for me, like touching actual gear. And I've said yeah. several times on this podcast that, uh, like say my Bax EQ, I have the Bax plug-in. Same with like the Massive Passive. I will go a lot more gentle on things and curves and boosts and cuts and whatever on physical pieces of gear than I will on the plug I treat them completely different, and I don't know why. So yeah. uh, I, I, I physically cannot explain it. So me personally, I would go out of the box 100% earlier than mm-hmm. I did. And if I could go out quicker than 100%, I would. Um, yeah. So, but it was just kind of about me and my learning curve. Cause like I'm, I, I was just completely, I just taught myself all of this stuff. And then um, I asked, I, I asked Sam for if he would do a mentorship. Cause you were doing those back in the time. And mm-hmm. uh, you and I didn't talk shop at all. We'd talk gear and like, hey, this is cool. But we would talk 100% about the better way for me to treat my my clients. Right. And that's the only thing I wanted to learn. So um, yeah, I would uh, I would get out of the box as soon as I could have. But I'm not saying that's the perfect solution to everyone because um, I know people who say they got out of the box too soon and they got into gear. That was way more than they should have. And I don't know if that was a financial thing. And they said they weren't ready to do that. And, and I mean, it it could have just been, like, where they were in life and it just wasn't,
1: like, a good move financially. I don't know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody's stress and risk tolerance is different. And goals. I mean, everything I'm saying is from the perspective of I moved to Nashville, left a salary job to say I'm going to freaking do this. Like, I'm all in, 100%. So my perspective is from that end goal of I want to work with people who make the records I make and then find new artists (laughs) that I can work with that then become artists. People are like, oh, I want to work with that artist. Like that's, I mean, that's the broad superficial view of the goals. So if you're in a different position where you have decided you want to go all in, perhaps it's not the best idea, but I'm just such a believer in at least having the right tools makes the um it makes it easy i just I really believe it makes it easier to do even if you're on the fence of like do I want to go full time well, it's all usually based around money for most people is well, I can't go full time yet because I don't have enough money or enough clients that pay me enough money, and you know having the right tools, I think will speed up that process you'll learn good habits on how to listen correctly. because um, unle- for me, unlearning how to listen poorly to then learn what music actually sounds like was a pretty jarring experience for a couple of years. Mm. And to me it was always like I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I said that's just something you you can avoid that. <laughs> like to me, you don't have to learn bad habits and listen poorly.
0: To me, it was always just like a step up in quality, and then my head would just explode with like, wow, I can't believe how cool right. this sounds. And then I would just find something else, and I couldn't believe how incredible this could sound. And it was the exact same thing. Right. And it just yeah. like time after time just kept blowing my mind. Yeah. So I always so, I always liked it. Touching one more thing on the gear thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I purchased one cheap piece of gear way back when mm-hmm. and I could not em- or I cannot emphasize strongly enough how much that if you want a 2 EQ that models a massive passive <laughs> get a freaking massive passive
1: yes I agree if
0: you want an EQ that models the Maselic MEA2 that's like really clean and sterile don't get the cheap version that's getting shipped from halfway around the world that's gonna break by the time it gets to you and then you're not gonna be able to service it and all that other stuff. Stop doing that. Just save your damn money and yeah, buy the thing that you actually want. It's like I agree. 100%. Stop playing games. It's like we're we're gonna do this and we're gonna do it right and we're running a business, and this is how you run a business. Right. So this is uh it's like if you wanna do it serious and just buy the thing that you want, and right. don't complain about it. <laughs> just my 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 hundred percent. My friend, uh, my friend Tom Lundbecker growing up, he was this German dude, and he would always, uh, I'd complain about a situation or something like that, and he'd listen to my situation. I'd be complaining about, and he'd be like, "I don't get it. Just why don't you just quit your bitching and just do it?" It was like a very German, like <laughs> linear mindset, and it was perfect for the situation. I still say today. And I was like, well, just, like I was complaining about the room that I was in, and uh, it just in the back of my head. And this is before I made this studio. He just said, "Why don't you just?" In my head, he, I'd never heard him say this. He's like, well, "Why don't you just quit your bitching about the studio and just at least try and make it work?" And uh, things now translate out of here, fantastic. So, yeah. just quit your bitching, man. <laughs> just do it's it. Easy. So, okay, you go.
1: Uh, let's see something else I would do different. I mean, non-nerdy, but or it is nerdy, super nerdy. I would have gotten like a CPA and a lawyer and like learned proper business structure and but not bank a accounts. degree necessarily. Not a degree. I just would have surrounded myself even when I was making no money because those people have made me more money. They've paid for themselves year after year and they've also helped me grow my business legally and shown me how businesses operate and how they can profit and what you can write off. And it's not a taking advantage of a system. I don't enjoy that language because it's a system that in my opinion is available to everyone you can literally go to your city's website and file for a dba or an llc if you want to do it yourself you can you can also check out a book at a library and learn these things <laughs> like the the wisdom on business taxes all of that is pretty much everywhere google it like you can learn it but people choose not to because it's just so unknown
0: well, it's not sexy
1: it's not sexy and i can attest as someone who wanted to then buy a house or do things with my business the first time the bank was like well no <laughs> like because you don't have proper like proof or you don't have like a good you know track record of of documents or like filing taxes or like you just kept all your money in a personal account when i first started like there are things that people look for that are just needed in order to function as a business. And that's something I would do totally different. I would have talked to a CPA. I would have met with a lawyer, even if you're like, well, I don't have any contracts or your projects or anything. Just, just find a lawyer for when you do. It's all future-proofing, like building those relationships up sooner than later if you really believe that you can do this. It's so nice to have that. Like, I had a really wise mentor who's been mentoring me on and off every month for the last few years, but I've known him for like 12 since I started basically, or it would be 10 years when I was in Florida. And he said, you need to always know and have like on call your CPA, your banker, and your lawyer, like your lender, CPA, and your lawyer. He's like, always have those people, always have relationships going with them, even if you don't need them. Just introduce yourself. Tell them what you're doing. Tell them, one day, I'm going to need you to help me with my taxes. One day, I'm going to need a loan for my business. One day, I'm going to need you to look over these contracts. Not today, but that. I started doing that, and it saved me. It's allowed me to grow. It's allowed me to build rapport, um, negotiating contracts, everything. Um,
0: Well, they're interested in you at that point.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's something I would have paid attention to earlier, which I at the time... I was like, eh, whatever. I don't make any money. I don't have any contracts. This isn't really that serious. But it can be serious really quick if you do these things, Matt and I are saying. I genuinely believe that. Like I think you can take so many years off if you just apply these things and you can actually be prepared and not not be backtracking. Like I feel like I did for the first five years of my career was like just getting hit in the head over and over again. And I don't believe you have to learn the hard way either. Like I don't think everything in life has to be hit the rock bottom, get in the oh shit moment to then learn the lesson. Like Mm -hmm. you're allowed to trust the wisdom of someone way ahead of you if you want to. And that as I get older, I mean I'm only thirty-two, but sometimes now when people tell me things, I'm like, great sure, glad I don't have to go think about that. Like, there's another way. (laughs) Like, when it comes to taxes or things like that, I'm not saying I'm a, like a, a robot. And I just like, I fact check everything still. But I, for business things and things where I'm like, you have like 40 years of business on you. You told me something. I probably don't need to go check that out anywhere else. So, I just go with it. And it usually works. Like, It's better than like me googling and then acting like I'm an expert after 20 minutes of reading a blog from some Finance Today article. Like, (laughs) so that's that's what I think. But I, it's not a sexy thing, but it's something I would do different for sure. So, but Matt, I feel like you, you understood those things because you already had a a business going.
0: I mean, my other business. um, Last week I was in the meeting with. Well, not our CPA. We have like a CFO who is kind of like a part-time CFO, but he does a lot of like tax strategy for us. And, yeah. And uh, he, along with my accountant, saved, I'd say, I, I don't want to say the number. They saved a lot of money on quarterly yeah. taxes. Uh, the lawyers helping with some stuff right now, and it's like, hey, I need uh, an employee NDA template. Do you have something? Here you go. Sure. Um, so they all just save you like buku money as far as like banks and lenders and whatnot. If you find a good banker that you have a good relationship with, we needed something in the other business. And I mean, it wasn't cheap, um, but just saying, just calling them up and saying, Hey, I have this opportunity. I want to purchase this piece of equipment. It's going to cost this many thousands of dollars. And uh, I'd like to see if you would like this business. See, that's the thing, too, is you have to make banks work for you. Like, they work for you. You don't work for them. And uh, then they're like, yeah. And then we had, like, a term sheet in, like, a week. And we bought the thing, and it'll be here. I think it takes, like, five or six weeks to build. And it'll be here, and it's a a piece of test equipment. And, uh, yeah, it's like, okay, cool. That was a... And it's like really low interest rate. And like, that was a quick and painless, I'll say like 30 grand. <laughs> right. And it's like, I have the, like the other business has the money to spend. It's just, I'd rather use that as operating capital. And then, right. yeah, I'll pay a little bit of interest on top of this so that I can have this, so I can ensure the quality of my product. Um, so, yeah, it's like if I have any problems or if I want to test any competitor's product, there you go. I just pop it in right there and we can test it right away. So, yeah, you just call up the banker. Hey, I want to do this. Okay, cool. And he literally came by while we were meeting with the accountant and the CPA. So, yeah. Oh, by the way, um, something that you probably should know, an accountant and a CPA are not the same thing. And, a CPA does not necessarily do tax strategy. They right. can if they're like, yeah. cool, you know, cool man. The, a <laughs> CPA is a, essentially like a licensed bureaucrat. They are somebody who is licensed by the IRS to say, this is like, this is correct. This is the information that, uh, what's the terminology? They are a licensed agent, uh, of the IRS. So they're, they're the man. They are the man. (laughs) But yeah, it's like not saying they're a bad guy. But in general, an accountant will be able to help you out a little bit more with tax strategy than a CPA is technically licensed and able to. But I mean, I I mean, they're still cool people. <laughs> so it just kind of depends on the relationship. Uh, last thing I will say in the last three minutes of this podcast, yeah. Um, the every single year, I wish from the beginning. I got a burp. I didn't <laughs> have to burp. I felt like weird thing. Okay, anyway, a little bubble in the jest. Mhm. I would every single year at the end of every year make a business plan for the following year. Love it. That and it, and if you want to know how I have grown what I have grown and I I don't really know the month or the day or anything that this started. I really don't care. I'm not really that kind of nostalgic. Um I just know it's like coming up on seven years in twenty twenty one. So whatever. Um, I wish I would have done that earlier. I wish I would have done a a. I wish I would have done a business plan. And if you want to know how I've grown, what I've grown in the past seven years, it's that I made a plan to do it, and at the end of the year, I said for the next year. We are going to show a profit or we are not going to show a profit. It's not, oh, if we have enough money, we'll show it. No, no, that's not how it works. You mentally plan whether or not you're going to show a profit because you need to be planning three to five years in advance. Am I going to need some type of a financial institution to back this business? Because Mm -hmm. if you do, then you need to show some type of a profit because if you're just buying gear... Like I was the past however long. Granted, I have another business that I run. So I don't need this business to necessarily support me. It's like Sam was talking at the beginning about like if you want to do this full time. I, I, I don't really foresee a date that I do this full time. And I don't mind that because I really like both things that I do and I don't burn out. And I keep a very tight schedule and it just kind of is what it is. Um. I'd love to do this out of my house and I'd love to keep my same hours. I have absolutely no problem doing it. Um, so, But the way that I do that is I do it with a business plan. And if you're showing no profit, you have to be certain that you're not going to want some financial institution to back you. And if you're not certain, then you just need to be understanding that you will not be getting any type of loan or anything else. Um, you won't be paying taxes. I will also say if you go four or more years without showing a profit, you kind of get into audit territory. So be, be careful. Two places where you get in trouble in business with audits, from what I've understood, is when you mess with the bottom line and when you mess with payroll. So you, most of y'all don't have to worry about payroll. But if you're messing with the bottom line and saying that you made less than you did, it's a little bit of a no-no and you can get into some audit trouble.
1: Big no. Um
0: So, yeah, make a business plan. And if you're going to show no profit for a few years, plan that. Or plan, hey, within the next three years, I think I'm going to need a loan. Then you plan to show a substantial amount of profit. You get that, and we'll talk about this in later episodes, but you get that uh, debt-to-income ratio within a certain window. You create a few packages for a few banks and you say, hey, this is – and you go with your CPA or you go with your accountant or whoever to the bank and you say, hey, this is – or you can call them your CFO, whatever. This is what I would like to propose to you. I'm taking um, – call it – this bank and this bank have uh, – um, are interested in uh, lending on what I'm about to do. If you're interested, uh, I'd, love to, I'd love to see what y'all can do. And that's what you do. <laughs> It's not really, exactly. it's not really uh, difficult to do that. And there's always terms and there's always like loan packages and there's always ways to structure different things. But um, yeah, these people work for you. You don't work for them. And you, you're like, oh, well, you work for us and then we're going to charge you interest. Like, yeah, go eat a whatever. So anywho, <laughs> uh, we're kind of up on our time, Sam. Do you have anything else?
1: I mean, those are the main things, honestly, like... It's basically invest in yourself and educate yourself, and you will cut five years and stress, anxiety, and therapy out. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's it.
0: So anywho, y'all enjoy the y'all enjoy the Biggie Barks. He uh, he was pretty good the the rest of this rest of this episode. So
1: yeah, he's a good bud. Nice. So
0: I assume Sam has a sweet beat queued up from Bezabeats.com playing in the background. Uh, you can go buy one of Sam's beats at bezabeats.com If you want to buy some attack and release show swag, go over to show dot com to support the show. If you like what we said, if you can go give us some stars, some likes, some comments, um, really whatever at uh, wherever you're listening to this. And the most important thing is if you could share this episode, that would be absolutely lovely. So yeah, I think that's all I got to say. What about you? I am
1: good to go.
0: Cool. So morning, afternoon, evening, whatever y'all having, have a darn good one. See y'all later. Bye.
1: Bye!